Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. We have a special guest today. We have a special guest today. And it's really exciting because we've kind of been, you know, not intentionally, but kind of relegating all of our recent guests to daddy deep dives. And some people don't watch all of the daddy deep dive movies so it's fun we have a guest that wants to do the full bad dad rad dad experience of watching a bunch of smackaroonies throughout the week and they're coming together to talk about them and we get to do the mystery movie picks and everything it's pretty exciting who do we got with us today we have our very good friend cassandra hi cassandra hello hi you want to introduce yourself a little bit Sure. Yeah. So my name is Cassandra. Um, my pronouns are she, her. If anyone cares about that, if anyone's talking about me. Um, and I know Kylie and Elliot through my partner. They were friends first and then I started dating my partner and then we started all hanging out together. Um, and I am, in my opinion, the podcast number one fan. Maybe that's not true. In my opinion, it is. <laughs> I think you're pretty up there. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I, I'm very excited to be here. Um, yeah. And I think one thing that Kylie and I have in common is that we really love reading books too. Um, so I think that that's how movies relate as well. Cause it's just like similar art forms, storytelling. Yeah. Sandra, you are a prolific reader. I am. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank- no, no big deal. <laughs> so before we get started, I think what Elliot said is, is really true that we were so excited to have you on and we knew we wanted to have you on for a long time and then I said do you want to do a deep dive episode or do you want to do a regular and you said oh no a regular why that choice yeah I'm actually surprised that people don't want to do regular episodes I love the idea of mystery movie picks and I was just like so excited to get mystery movie picks that's why I wanted to do a regular episode yeah they're pretty fun yeah well I think that you and your partner were were early adopters of just doing mystery movie picks on your own after hearing that that was just something that we did and that made us feel really nice inside because it. I feel like more people need to do the mystery movie picks. It's special. It is really special. But you two, 
adopted a different way of doing it, right? Like you kind of made it your own. Yeah. So we usually have a double feature and each, each time we choose a theme and we take turns choosing the theme. So whoever's turn it is, will say, this is the theme of the week. And then we both bring a movie that embodies that theme in whatever way we want as creatively as we want. Um, sometimes the theme is as simple as like a genre. Like we'll just be like, it's horror. Um, and sometimes the theme will be as specific as like, it's about twins. Like it's so mm-hmm. random. It's whatever you want. Um, and then, yeah, we, so we both have a mystery movie pick. It's just like themed. I love it. I love it too. Yeah. That's great. See everybody, there's ways you can adopt it and make it your make own. Make it your own. Ready to talk about some uh, smackaroonies as Elliot likes to likes to call them. Hell yeah. Let's do it. Okay, we're going to start with uh my mystery movie pick. It was really intimidating, I have to say to to pick something um that I wanted to pick something that you hadn't seen but that I also thought we could have a really good conversation about. So I picked We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is a 2011 drama mystery thriller directed by Lynn Ramsey, who I'm a big fan of, and written by Ramsey and Rory Stewart Kinnear, but it's also based on the novel by Lionel Shriver, which was another reason I picked it for you specifically. Um, It stars Tilda Swinton as Eva, John C. Riley as Franklin, and Ezra Miller as Kevin, And the synopsis says, Eva's a mother trying to piece together her life following an incident caused by her child, Kevin. So I had a bunch of things I was interested in watching with you specifically, Cassandra, but I kind of was looking at some of the things we had agreed to watch. And I was like, ah, that's too similar. Some of them were hard to find copies of. And I'm like, maybe one day when we're back in the same city, that's something we could watch together. Um, And so I picked this and I sent it to your partner. And she said... Oof, I've seen that. (laughs) (laughs) And that she said you'd both read the book. Um, Yeah. I have read the book and I had seen the movie before. And to my surprise, in my mind, Elliot had seen the movie before, but actually he hadn't. So I was the only one who had seen it. Um, What did you all think of We Need to Talk About Kevin? You go first, Cassandra. Yeah. So I I did read the book and I read it about a year ago, I think, in the pandemic, because mm. uh, my partner owns the book, and she was like, you should read this. Um, so I read it recently, so I did know everything that was going to happen, um, but I really liked that the movie was very similar to the book. Like, mm-hmm. the plot wasn't changed that much, but it was, like, a different interpretation, because in the book, it's just st- the story in in the right timeline but in the mm-hmm. movie it was more disjointed like you would see some some flashbacks you would see some now you would see some back again see some now so i thought that was really creative and even though it was the same story it was different because it was told in a different way so i thought that was really creative and you were right the movie is really heavy and sad <laughs> it is did you like the book when you read it i did like the book yeah, yeah. I also feel like it's a it's a point of view of the mother, which I feel like other movies are usually the point of view of the kids or like the other yeah. kids in the school, for example, um, mm-hmm. the other kids that know him. But it was more of the point of view of like the mom of the kid rather than the kid, you know. So this is something um, I really I read the book for the first time when I was in high school and I really liked it. And I've read it a few times and what I what I like about it now, both the book and the film, is like this more complicated depiction of motherhood, which like it isn't always you have a child and you're endlessly devoted and it's perfect, but neither is it I'm going to abandon you. Like it's messier. Mm-hmm. And I think we need more complicated depictions of parenting, period. 
because that's why we do this show. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I really liked it as when I was a teenager, I, I was like, oh, see, this is proof I don't have to have kids. Proof that if mm-hmm. I have kids, it'll go wrong. And now I think it's something messier than that. Yeah. Hmm. Elliot? Yeah. I, I mean, having finally gotten into watch this, because I think you were watching it one time a long time ago. And the reason you thought I had watched it is that I walked in at some point and watched a little bit of it with you. But that's my only context for this movie. Yeah, it was uh it's brutal as hell. Um an alt title could be Let's Gaslight Mom. <laughs> um <laughs> but it's impeccably made. So Lynn Ramsey she, we reviewed one of her one of her films Ratcatcher uh on the show and I feel like she's really good at pulling really magnetic performances out of all of her talent but especially out of young people. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, um and you get that from Ezra Miller's performance. But like I've I'm with you. I've never felt more affirmed in my decision not to have children after <laughs> after watching this film. Um yeah, like it's it's always and it's always been a concern that I've considered when thinking about whether to or to not have children at a younger age. And it's just this really scary reality that's reaffirmed in this movie of kids end up how they end up despite how you raise them. Not to say that Tilda Swinton's character was perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that there there was just something, there was just something about Kevin that was never gonna, that was just ingrained in him that there was nothing that Tilda Swinton's character could have helped with that. And so that's such an interesting thing to me because Cassandra, I'm curious what you think having read the book because I thought the book was a lot more ambiguous about that of like. The question of was Kevin born the way that Eva views him or did she play a part in it or both? And I think the book is a little bit depicts Eva more unreliably than the film does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, after me and Allison, my partner watched it, she actually brought that up. Like she was asking me what I thought about if it seems like from the movie, if it was like nurture or nature of why Kevin was the way he was. And yeah, I think like you said, the movie kind of makes it seem like it's a little bit more one way, but the book definitely was like more ambiguous. Like maybe it's trying to say it's a combo of both. Maybe it's trying to say it's one or the other. Maybe it's trying to say it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I agree with that last point. I think there's, and obviously we don't get into this, which sometimes I get so frustrated because I'm like, I want to say things that I can't say because they'll spoil it. But I think the ending speaks to that part of it, which that in the end doesn't matter. Yeah. Because this is what we have and this is what's here. And so what are we going to do with that? What what I did really, so we've seen this film by Lynn Ramsey and then Ratcatcher and then she has a film called You Were Never Really Here. Have you seen that one? No, I don't um, think so. I, I, I really like all three of them, but something that she does so well but also it just like gets at me is her sensory work (laughs) like Mm. the sound design um i think you know this cassandra that i have an extreme aversion to tomato skins (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know that (laughs) um the opening scene was really hard for me (laughs) because it's like a tomato festival and there's like skins tomato skins hanging off of people wow but it plays with that like visual and sound design like overload mm-hmm. for sure in yeah. really interesting ways. Yeah. There's a scene involving 
fingernails that is just it really got under my skin and eggshells yeah <laughs> oh yeah god agreed and i am not the most visual person but i could clearly see this symbolic use of red and blue as like contrasting mm-hmm. maybe not even contrasting but as these kind of dimensions within the film in mm-hmm. interesting ways yeah um the uh the performances in this are, are really incredible. I kind of talked about it a little bit already, but like Tilda Swinton, I'm, yeah. I've been, we've been watching a lot more of her stuff since starting the show and I'm just more and more enamored with her. She's just magnetic in this and just the way that they show her journey from pre having kids to um, where she ends up by the end of the story. Her whole arc is just really compelling and her performance just draws you in. Um, I will say, having not read the book, something I did know is that in the book, her husband is described as this like really handsome man and just he's he's gorgeous. Um, like really magnetic, I think. Yeah. So I thought it was an interesting choice that John C. Riley was picked to be the husband. But you don't think he's magnetic? <laughs> I think he's so likable. I think that's the thing is that I feel like it was to get... M- to have a character that's more sympathetic because I feel like John C. Riley, just by looking at him, he's a, love- he's more lovable. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Not that he's not handsome. Right. Right. But he has a more lovable than, say, like a Alexander Skarsgård. Right. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and and even is- more than Tilda Swinton. Yes. Yeah. By contrast. Yeah, yeah. I think if you had two characters that have that kind of like sharpness to them aesthetically, they have the, like the contrast of it is really important in the film. Like John C. Riley and Tilda Swinton have different energies to the way they play those characters. Whereas in the book, that can happen just through the writing. Yeah. And we don't have mm-hmm. to have that visual reference point. Yeah. I think it's, um, it'd be remiss not to talk about the, like I almost didn't choose this movie because I know Ezra Miller is not doing well or making good choices and has is causing a lot of harm to people. Um, and it's something that I want to talk about more when we talk about our last film of the week. It's a really complicated thing to engage with media when somebody involved in it is causing harm or has caused harm. For sure. Mm-hmm. Did that impact your viewing at all? Uh, I have thought a lot about this when it comes to books specifically. Mm. And I think that that's something I think about a lot. Um, I'm very hesitant to consume media that someone who's caused harm is a part of. But I think at the same time, it's hard to dismiss all the other people who worked on something who did a good job and have never caused harm. Yeah. So I think I try and do it responsibly in that I think about it like I think about the harm that's caused and I think about how can I consume this in a way that's like not giving that person a platform so Mm. maybe I won't talk about Ezra as much when I talk about the movie but I'll talk Mm -hmm. about Tilda's performance maybe I Mm -hmm. won't pay money for the movie but I'll like rent it instead because it costs less like stuff like that where I'm just like how can I give a little less money to this person or a little less attention to this person while still like uplifting all the other people who worked really hard and who did a good job on the movie or book. That's really a thoughtful way to approach it. 
Yeah. And I think that's kind of how we do it too. Yeah. The other, the other two parts that I kind of try and bring in as best I can because of my role as a teacher is uh, especially for studying something mm. that's in that realm is talking about that, like not, not ignoring it. Um, and I think we try and do that on the show too. If we watch something that has somebody who's done something that we are not fans of, like naming that. Um, but also I, I'm pretty strict on, I won't support anything new. Right. Like if, yeah, if yeah. people know that this person is an abuser or has caused harm in the past or is likely to cause harm in the future and they willingly work with that person, then I am not going to support that project. It gets a little trickier for me when it's work that was made prior to knowledge of these things. Um, yeah. And I will definitely talk about that more later. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> but maybe I'll button this with our favorite question. Uh, how did we need to talk about Kevin make you all feel? Um, it just made me feel incredibly sad. Mm. But but also, like, that's not a bad thing because I am a cancer moon and I really like being sad. Like, I like watching and consuming sad content. Um, so I felt incredibly sad, but, like, I, I liked it. Yeah. For me, just soberingly disconcerted. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, this uh, this was heavy. This was this was a tough watch, but I, I enjoyed watching it the whole the whole way through. How to make you feel. Both the first time I watched it and now it just gives me this deep discomfort and dread, but also empathy for that character of Eva. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And extra empathy because no one else has empathy for her. Like not yeah. a single other person in the movie, which is like the saddest part. Yeah. Completely agree. I think it does such a great job of showing that isolation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really sad. Sad, heavy movie. And then we went somewhere so fun, <laughs> not heavy at all, I say sarcastically, um, with Cassandra, your pick. Um, yeah, so I chose a mystery movie pick that I chose, like, the first time you ever mentioned maybe I should be on the podcast. I was like, oh, this is the movie I'm going to choose. I hope you guys don't watch it before then, which I'm surprised you've never seen it. It's so wild to me. So the movie I chose is uh, Thirst. It is from 2009. It is, a, uh, according to IMGb, a drama fantasy horror romance, which is a lot of genres, <laughs> but I agree that it's all yeah. of those genres. Also agree. Um, so it's directed by Park Chan-wook, um, and it's written by Park Chan-wook, and it's also uh, based on a book by Emily Zola. So that's also one of the writers, and one of the other writers is Chung Seo-kyung. Um, and then it is starring um, Song Kang-ho as Sang-hyung, uh, Kim Okay-bin as Taiju and Si Dong-soo as Hyo-sung. Those are, I guess, probably the main characters, I would say. Uh, the synopsis is that Sang-hyung, a priest working for a hospital, selflessly volunteers for a secret vaccine development project intended to eradicate a deadly virus. However, the virus eventually takes over the priest. He nearly dies but makes a miraculous recovery by an accidental transfusion of vampire blood. He realizes his sole reason for living, the pleasures of the flesh. That's so sick. <laughs> yeah, that's a great synopsis. <laughs> I, yeah, I read that one and I was like, that's the one I'm using. So what did you guys think of my mystery movie pick? Well, but before we launch into that, I'm so curious. Like you said, you had this just like on lock for what you wanted to watch with us and show to us. Why was it this film? What about it? Because I already know that you like other Park Chan-wook movies. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, how have you not seen this one? 
<laughs> How have you not seen this one? Like, I just love it so much. It's one of my top movies ever. The wildest part about this is that both of us have considered picking it several times, but it's really long. Oh. And so okay. that's, I think we've often, like, I'll, I'll, and also I don't think it was available anywhere. So often when we're looking for something to watch, we're paying attention to the runtime relative to what's going on in our lives at that moment. And usually it's a weeknight. <laughs> um, and then also, is it available anywhere? And it hasn't been available on any of our streaming services. So it is one we wanted to watch. And we were both so excited when we saw what it was. Yeah, as soon as it popped up. Because, yeah, I've been wanting to watch this. I remember looking at the cover for this movie back when I worked at Blockbuster years and years ago. Um, I was really excited. I was looking forward to taking uh, a deeper dive into the filmography of Park Chan-wook. Yeah. Um, and the things that I've seen of his already, like I really want to love his work, like directorially and cinema cinematography wise. I really enjoy his movies, but they don't always click for me is what I find. This clicked for me. Yeah. I think that like after it was over, I said, this is my favorite Park Chan-wook film I've seen. Yeah. yeah. Knocked old boy out. And like, I'm and I'm sort of questioning like what was it about this? I mean, first of all, as soon as you put Song Kang Ho in something, I think he's the secret sauce. Like we, you and I particularly really like him. When he shows up at something, we're like, yes, um, just love him so much. But yeah, like I think another thing is uh, it has a lot of possession vibes. The film Possession. Have you seen that, Cassandra? No, no? I haven't. Yeah, we covered it on the show a little while back, and yeah, we became obsessed with it and and we wouldn't have known otherwise but the there's a sequence in the film where taiji is becoming increasingly unhinged and she's wearing a blue dress and she's doing a lot of really smiley stuff um and i was like this looks straight out of possession and then i found an interview with park chan wook where somebody asked like what films inspired this and he said that like as a cast they watch or he had them watch possession and that the that blue dress was specifically an homage to it. So I'm like, oh, okay. I wasn't like mm-hmm. just seeing something like that was intentional. But it's cool. It's so cool that that because we had seen it so recently, we were able to just make that connection, bring that into that, and just add to the love that we have for this film. Okay, but this movie is simultaneously so horny and so gross. Yes, like it has some of the grossest body horror i've ever seen (laughs) and not like gnarly like just gross (laughs) it's so well done yeah oh so impressive there's a particularly a moment with a flute that i was like a recorder i don't know what it is and i was like oh my goodness wow you had us hooked from that moment and then it starts getting sexy and then it gets gross again and then yeah what do you love about it I love that it's all genres in one. Like, Mm. I think it's incredibly romantic, but it's also, like, has the horror elements. Like, it has, like, all that body horror, and it's scary at times. Mm -hmm. It's also funny. Like, there's such funny moments in it that, like, break up the horror as well. And I just, like, it's so many genres in one. I don't know. It's so good. I also think when I was, when I first watched this movie, it's because I really like Park Chan-wook. I had already seen, like, a few of his movies, um and this came out in theaters and i was like i gotta see this immediately and i just think he's really thoughtful Mm. about every single part of the movie both plot wise and visually 
everything has a reason. And I, I just really like that in movies. I think that that's really beautiful. Yeah, I would agree. Even in, and I'm with you, Elliot, there's a couple, like The Handmaiden didn't click for me when we watched it and I thought I'd really like it. And I don't know if I just need to watch it again. And then Decision to Leave, um, his newest film, didn't quite click for me. But in both of them, I thought it was such thoughtful and beautiful filmmaking. Mm-hmm. It just didn't necessarily resonate with me um, the way the way this has. Interestingly, and I don't know if I shared this with you, Elliot, already, Park Chan-wook has a director's cut that's 148 minutes. Oh, and it's wow. his preferred version of the film, but you can only get it in South Korea or France. There's there's literally no way for us to access it. Like, buy it, though? Like, when you say get it, like, what if I bought a DVD from there? But it probably wouldn't have English subtitles. Oh, damn. And there are, um, you can't play European DVDs in Canada, like, on our players. They're region-specific. That's so, so rude. We have to go to South Korea or France. And learn how to speak Korean or French. So what if I go to France? Maybe they'll have a French. You go to France. We'll come with you and you'll translate it into English for us. (laughs) Word by word. It'll be a seamless way to watch the film. Beautiful. (laughs) But I'm like, I want to see that. Yeah, me too. I didn't know Mm -hmm. that existed. Wow. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Every moment, he just, he really knows how how to craft a film and add tension, make you feel gross heightened yeah like this is romantic like and it and it is horny (laughs) and there's just so many different emotions and as you read the laundry list of genres at the top of this like it and you're right it is just everything a little bit of everything in there and it's it's so it's so well done this is the other thing and i um i always feel like a real big nerd when i break this point it's very shakespearean Mm. Mm. Which, uh, Cassandra, you texted me a couple, a handful of months ago and we're like, you asked, does anyone like Shakespeare? <laughs> <laughs> and we had a good back and forth about it. And, <laughs> you know, it's and when my students ask me, why do we study Shakespeare? Part of it is that we have to. But this had some very Macbeth elements to it. And some of those Shakespeare didn't originate these themes. He didn't originate these structures, but he perhaps did popularize them. And that kind of epic tale of morality and internal flaw and reckoning with oneself. And in Macbeth, there's generally, a not in Macbeth, sorry, in Shakespeare, there's a point of epiphany, um, which is so central to, to the plot after all of this undoing and catastrophe. And I felt like there was such an epic scale in this film. Um, and it also had those elements of, like the human grappling with internal ethics and and all of that kind of stuff in a really compelling way that was quite grandiose. Definitely. Yeah, that's interesting. So maybe you would like Shakespeare. I mean, I don't hate it. I just don't understand the language. <laughs> this is fair. It's very hard. The story is fine. The language is confusing. Yes, this is true. This would be like if we tried to watch Thirst in... South Korea. Right. It'd be beautiful, but we wouldn't get anything out of it. I was just going to say, I love the Romeo and Juliet. That's like not fully Shakespeare. So yes. Romeo plus Juliet. Yes. Romeo plus Juliet. (laughs) Great film. Good Lord. So what I'm hearing is that you're, you're going to start teaching thirst to your students. Oh yeah. I definitely wouldn't get fired for that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. They definitely love it. 
Nudity. <laughs> Nudity's always the surefire can't do it. Yeah. Gore's okay. Okay. But nudity, mm-mm. Nice. I also feel like what's nice about this movie is like it's a vampire story, but like a little bit different than the usual vampire stories. Cause like every vampire movie and show is just like a 200 year old vampire who's like really into a high school girl. And then like <laughs> they, they're into each other, but like it's kind of inappropriate. And it's like the same story, but this is like a little different. Yeah. This is like, I'm usually not that into vampire stuff. Like it's not a, a go to for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is my kind of vampire movie. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And there's some interesting gender stuff going on too. There's a particular line that I that I won't can't really talk too much about it, but that I was like, oh, this would be interesting to to look at. Hmm. Um, Kylie, do you have any trivia? I love when you have trivia. Do you have trivia about this movie? That was my only trivia, was the 148 minute director's cut, which is I think 10 extra minutes. But 10 minutes is a lot. Yeah. Like what could be so different about 10 minutes that he likes it so much too? Interesting. I'm sure there's a thing online where you can like read. What I was just going to say, we should research that. Okay. Do it. Nice. Perfect. <laughs> How did it make you guys feel? Um, it made me from start to finish, like ready to spiral down with the characters. <laughs> I was prepared yes. to go down with them. Wow. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, uh, I felt very similar and Overall, it made me grateful for the wild genre bending ride that was this movie. And I'm also just grateful to finally have a Park Chan-wook film click for me because I so I so desperately want to love his stuff and haven't been able to connect with uh, a film until now. So thank you for bringing this to the table. I'm so I'm so grateful for that. Oh, thank you for letting me. I was like, ugh, just like hoping, watching your guys' letterbox, just like, don't watch Thirst, don't watch Thirst, don't watch Thirst. <laughs> for months, it's been months. We have another friend who like has a non-horror movie that she wants to watch with us, but we had her on and did exclusively horror movies. And I think she does the same thing, like, don't watch it, don't watch it. <laughs> How does it make you feel? I mean, this time while watching it, I felt like overjoyed that knowing that you guys were watching it at the same time as me. And I was just like really excited. <laughs> That's great. I feel like I feel like giddy like you guys feel when you make people watch movies. It's yeah. so fun. It's so lovely. I love it so much. Yeah. And I just I this is like one of the movies I've seen the most in my life. Like I've seen this movie so many times. It came out in 2009 and I watch it all the time. And so I feel like I feel something different every time because I watch mm. it so often. So this time it was just like overjoyed. I love that. That's awesome. Okay. My mystery movie pick. I've, I've This is another one I've had on the list for a really long time. Um, and we had a bit of a journey getting to watch it, but I'll get into that in a second. I chose the 2011 drama Tomboy. It was written and directed by a favorite of the show, Celine Sciamma. Uh, it stars, and I apologize for my pronunciation on these names, Zoe Haran as Mikhail, uh, Malone Levana as Jean, um, Sophie Catani as La Mer, Mathieu Demi as Le Père, and Jean Disson as Lisa. Synopsis is, the story follows a 10-year-old gender non-conforming child who moves to a new neighborhood during the summer holiday and experiments with their gender presentation, adopting the name Mikhail. 
it was a also a task to find a synopsis that was that was not incredible written with a little bit of care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was Wikipedia. Wikipedia saved the day. Yeah. All the other ones were like really suspect. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Not great. So, yeah, with this one, we were really excited to d- d- dive deeper into Celine Sciamma. But the thing was, is that when I when I picked this. It's only available to stream on Mubi uh, for free. Tubi. Tubi, right. Sorry. Um, But we jumped in there and the subtitles, this is a French movie and the subtitles were really bad. They were delayed, at least for us. I don't know if you experienced this, Cassandra, but it was, they were delayed with all of something was spoken and then they'd come on screen and then they go away really quickly. So it was pretty poor. So we're like, okay, this is pretty annoying. Maybe let's just bite the bullet and buy it on Apple. So we did. And there was no subtitles on Apple. Yeah, it's only in French audio, no subtitles on Apple. Oh. So then we went back to Tubi and we watched it there. Yeah. Um, But uh, we're just waiting to send Apple a strongly worded email. Um, Requesting a refund. (laughs) Yes. Um, So it's a bit of a journey to get there, but we eventually got there. So, what do you two think of Tomboy? Kylie, let's start with you. So, I love Celine Sciamma, and we now only have one film of hers to go, and we have seen her entire catalog um, of films she's directed. I think that she's written some things uh, that other people directed, and I don't care as much about that. Um, something that I really like about her work, regardless of if the film ultimately clicks with me or not, is that I think she does such a wonderful job of catch capturing a moment and having it capture a time and a feeling. And this one, regardless of feeling connected to any of those characters personally, I did feel connected to that idea of like childhood summers that like stretch on and your parents don't know where you are, or what you're doing Um, And you're making these connections that are incredibly important and yet complicated. Um, And I thought she did that so well. And making self-discoveries. Yeah, especially around that age. And I thought that that was highly relatable regardless of the rest of the film. And I thought that was really beautiful. Have you seen much of Celine Sciamma's work, Cassandra? No, I haven't. But every time I hear you guys talk about it, I'm like, wow, these seem like movies I need to watch. You haven't seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Oh, I've seen that one. Okay. That's the only one. Yeah. But I actually have never heard of this movie before. Oh. I knew nothing about it. And I didn't know the synopsis at all going into it. So I just like watched it going in blind, which is like kind of like you always say, like, more exciting because mm-hmm. there's nothing's ruining your movie watching you're just like watching it without having spoilers at all mm-hmm. um and so i really liked that because i just didn't know what it was going to be about at all but i feel like that made me more immersed mm. Mm. while watching it but i also think that i don't know like you chose a movie that like felt really personal to me too because like mm. i feel like as i was a kid i was like really kind of like masculine and my mom would always be like, you have to wear a dress. And I'd be like, I don't want to. And so, like, I don't know, this kid, like, I kind of felt like this kid sometimes when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, like, I wasn't gender non-conforming. I'm definitely 
at this time, like I'm a female woman and go by she, her. Um, but I think I definitely wanted to be more masculine and tomboy-esque. And so when I was watching mm-hmm. this, it's like, wow, like these are exact like situations that happened to me mm-hmm. where I would like want to hang out with the boys and like impress them because I like was more masculine and wanted to like wear certain clothes, but my mom would not let me. Um, mm-hmm. So that like kind of how you said, like it captures the moment, but even more specifically for me, because it was like mm-hmm. these things like happened to me when I was a kid playing in the summer. Mm-hmm. so yeah that was really nice i just wanted to add quickly it's that's funny that you you haven't heard of it because when i sent uh when i sent that this was my pick to your partner she was like oh i've been wanting to watch this for so long you're so excited <laughs> that's what she said that's why we watched this one first because she was so excited to watch it oh nice so that's i'm, I'm really happy to hear like you speak about the connection you had to the film because we did know a fair amount about the film before we watched it and I think I had some kind of preconceived notions about what it was about. And I went in reading the characters trans and then felt kind of uncomfortable about some of the choices in the film because that's how I had pre-established my understanding of the main character. After watching it, um, I read an interview with Celine Sciamma where she said, and this is a translation, so I'm sure it's not exactly her words, but a best representation of them in English. Um, she said, I made it with several layers so that a transgender person could say that was my, my childhood and that a cisgender woman could also say it. Mm. And I wasn't sure how I felt about that. But then hearing that you felt so connected to it, I feel it's helped reframe that for me. And I'm mm-hmm. where I don't know. It's so tricky. That's interesting. It, it, it does the same for me. It kind of reframes it a little bit because like, I feel like, She's tackling and, t- and speaking to some very real and what can be some really tough themes throughout. And I didn't necessarily always feel like it was successful for me. Um, and I, th- I feel like thus the, the issue with finding a synopsis that worked because I feel like so- some other people might have struggled with seeing that or not seeing the true vision or what Scamma wanted to get across or wanted her, the audience to understand. But I like hearing that you had this connection to it. Like I, I think that there is there is craft and there is care into the storytelling and these themes that she's wanting to explore in the film. Well, and I think I after watching it, because I, I loved so much of it, and then there was these moments where I kind of felt a little uncomfortable. I reflected on my own and, and thought, is that a me problem though? Mm-hmm. Because childhood, particularly at that age, is so messy and is so in the process of self-discovery. And I think of all of us in our thirties, we don't have it all figured out yet. Mm-hmm. At least I can say that about myself. I don't have it all figured out. And I, you know, was making, un- having epiphanies and realizations about my identity, sexuality, all sorts of things much later in life than, than the main character. Right. So, yeah. you know, putting that kind of a concrete lens on it, particularly when that isn't Celine Sciamma's lived experience perhaps is something that I wanted so I could feel better, but perhaps actually isn't the best representation of that story. Yeah. I think also thinking about what you said about how Celine said different people watching it can get different things out of it. I also wonder if people watching it who have the opinion similar to maybe some of the other people in the movie who Mm -hmm. don't really want um, our main character to 
be gender non-conforming or be trans or whatever they're choosing to be um wants them to kind of just stay who they see them as mm-hmm. uh, if you watch the movie with that view or those values i wonder if you can like if that mm-hmm. people watch it that way too obviously yeah. that's not the values i want to want people to watch it through mm-hmm. but i'm sure people do yeah i mean the the character of the mother in particular really hard to watch yeah the further the film went on and and then in some ways the father as well because i found the father to be such an apathetic character yeah where it's like there seems like the opening scene has the the father and the main character in these really like tender beautiful like unspoken visual scenes and yet just such apathy to what's going on as the film continues and i was enraged by that yeah Mm-hmm. just really good exploration of complicated parent dynamics and, and also just like kind of exploring where support and quote unquote unconditional love have their limits uh, right? and what happens when you reach those and have to move past them. But speaking of unconditional love, one thing that I just loved so much in this film was the sibling dynamic. Oh, yeah. Man. Sean's the MVP in this movie that was a really cute relationship i all like i don't know me and my brother weren't like that so like i was like oh my god i wish <laughs> i know i didn't i didn't have not have that kind of a sibling relationship with anyone either <laughs> john just like had their siblings back unconditionally <laughs> and in like the sweetest ways where you see how a child hasn't necessarily had the world filtered for them and they just see a person for who they are Mm. yeah that's what i was just gonna say like in such a childish way and i mean childish in a good way where it's just Mm -hmm. like i'm just seeing you for who who you are who you say you are that's who Mm -hmm. i see and that's Mm -hmm. like so sweet Mm -hmm. and there are these moments of questioning which do feel very real to me you know we have a four-year-old niece in our life who loves to ask questions just like, why this? Why that? How come? You know, and and you see that from the little sister, but never from a like a malicious or judgmental or angry place. Just like a, I want to understand. And then once the answers are given, okay, let's go with it. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful. Which is like the opposite of the, the adults in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Completely the opposite. And also like, yeah, thinking about it, all of the kids kind of had that more slight not all of the kids most some of the kids in the movie had more of that view versus the adults had the complete opposite view so it's also kind of like just showing where you are in life and and how that i don't know like you said like all of the things that have happened to you all the things you know from society and stuff has really put a lot onto you and and changed your values has created those like limits and borders and seems like there's an at least the way that slinsky gamma depicts it this like openness to whatever shows up right in, yeah. in the, in the children. And it was Celine Scamma does that so well. And I think um, her film Petite Mama that we love so, so much kind of explores some similar ideas, but in a very different thematic way. Mm. But it's, it's especially powerful when this expression of love and care is coming from such a small person mm-hmm. directed towards a another, well, for all intents and purposes, small person. 
and that doesn't that isn't coming from the adults who you would think would know better or that's where that would just naturally more naturally come from yeah um so yeah it was made really powerful when thinking about this too and just uh kind of circling back to you know maybe not getting the message or not understanding or not seeing things you kind of you kind of made me check myself when we were watching this too that i recognizing that culturally french cinema makes decisions that may be more common in french cinema than in north american cinema that maybe doesn't allow someone like me to make those connections or to see filmmaking techniques or decisions in the storytelling that i don't see whenever I can just like easily go to a cineplex or something like that. So yeah, I, there's a lot of this conversation has been great because there's just a lot of reframing going on in my mind. That's making me appreciate the film a little bit more. Um, also, I, I, I meant to say this earlier, but then we just get on just talking about the film, but I did watch it with subtitles off Tubi, but I can also speak French. So I mm. think I mostly just watched the movie, but I, I always watch movies with subtitles on. I think mm. it's just, I prefer it, um, but I, I think I just watched the movie and didn't use the subtitles very much. Like you just didn't register the subtitles as you watched it? Yeah, because okay. I just was talking to my partner about the movie and then I went, wait, that movie was in French? And she went, yeah. And I was like, oh, I just like <laughs> forgot because I just watched it. I'm very jealous yeah, of your so ability cool. to do that. I, I know I've talked about this on the show, so you've probably heard it, Cassandra, but I... I can speak enough French that there's the odd moment where I think I wouldn't have interpreted it the way the subtitles have. Right. Or or they've like they've shortchanged the subtitle. Yeah. Where I'm like there there's a little bit more said than that and they've kind of condensed it into something. Um but you weren't really comparing the two, eh? You were just focused on the audio and not focusing on the subtitles. I think, yeah, when I watch French movies, I do use the subtitles if there's a word I don't know or like a slang I don't know, but I do mostly just like watch the movie, kind of like I do an English movie. That's amazing. Where like I just use them when I need them. I wish. Yeah. (laughs) I think I could do it if I went and lived somewhere that was predominantly French speaking because I have enough of a base, but Mm -hmm. Elliot, this guy, can't do it. He can't do it. You heard my pronunciations at the start of this movie. (laughs) Brutal. So sorry. 12 years of French immersion. That'll do that for you. It'll get you there. Yeah, that's fair. Cool. No, I'm, I'm so, I'm so grateful. We all got to watch this. Uh, how did it make you feel? Kylie. So this film gave me a very painful sense of discomfort. Mm. Like for the characters. Like I felt pained through a lot of the film. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Cassandra? Yeah, I also was going to say uncomfortable, but also heartwarmed at some of the parts. Mm-hmm. Like uncomfortable for some of the relationships, but heartwarmed for some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, half and half. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with both of those. Um, for me, it made me feel complicated, a lot of complicated feelings, but still fully aboard the Celine Scalma train. I will continue to watch and rewatch anything that she puts out there as long as she remains a good person, which (laughs) is just based on a track records for just humans. These days are not great. Yeah. True. I am so excited to go somewhere a little less complicated for the next one. (laughs) Oh, Cassandra, I'm so glad that you brought this to our attention. So we watched 
the 2011 comedy romance sci-fi, so speaking of genre bending, codependent lesbian space alien seeks same. Best title. Best title. Yeah, singularly best title I've ever heard in my life. Pretty good. It was directed and written by Madeline Olnick, and it stars Lisa Haas as Jane, Susan Ziegler as Zoinks, Jackie Monahan as Zylar, Cynthia Kaplan as Barr, Dennis Davis as Senior Agent, and Alex Karpovsky as Rookie Agent. The synopsis, which is so good. The adventures of lesbian space aliens on the planet Earth and the story of the romance between Jane, a shy greeting card store employee, and Zoinks, the woman Jane does not realize is from outer space. Meanwhile, two government agents, or men in black, are closely tracking Jane and the aliens while harboring their own secrets. (laughs) What did y'all think of codependent lesbian space alien seeks same? I want to know how this came about. Because I feel you recommended it, right, Cassandra? Like, what? How, yeah, did you, how did you know? I, one of my coworkers really likes movies and she works on movie sets. So she's mm. really into movies. Mm-hmm. And we just like we're talking about movies all week. Just movies we like, movies we don't. Um, whatever movies we recommend, movie we watched recently. We were just talking about it. And she was actually doing this um, Women's History Month where she was recommending movies directed by women every single day for the whole month. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was one of the movies. And I was like, I want to watch it based on the title. Like, mm-hmm. I'm in. And she said it's really good. So it's like, okay, I'm in. Well, this is now, I think, going to be... It's it's a, not very many people have watched it on Letterboxd. It is our most obscure film. Like, we have, they have a stat that tells you that by a long shot. But my creative writing class, which is only 14 students, did uh, twist my arm to get allow them to watch the first five minutes of it. And I showed them the first five minutes of it the other day <laughs> after we watched it. And I was like, there's actually nothing inappropriate about this film at all. Um, I was like, sure, let's watch the first five minutes. And how can you not be hooked after that first five minutes? <laughs> yeah. The whole opening is so good. Yeah, yeah. this had, had me from the opening scene. Did it have you hooked as well? Yeah, I agree. Like, it's just like, it's silly, but it's also like clever silly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a little bit of both. Which is perfect because sometimes you're just like laughing because it's stupid, but then sometimes it's like so smart at the same time. And also really beautiful and sad at other times Mm -hmm. and not consistently, but when it gets there, you're like, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. didn't realize you'd get me in that way. Yeah, but it it is so goddamn funny. I mean, I I think in my letterbox review, I said it's like coneheads, but better and gay. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, it just it has such a lock on its sense of humor and what kind of jokes it wants to tell, the kind of things it wants to it wants to poke at. And you get that just from the title of the movie, which is just if you're seeking if you're seeking out a romp, that's just a real good time. Yeah. Highly recommend checking this out. Well, and it's also it's in the vein, like purposefully in the vein of Ed Wood movies, which are you have you seen? Any Edward movies or the movie Edward? No, I don't. I've never heard of them. So Edward is kind of commonly known as the worst director of all time, um, but in a the room kind of way of he was so and, and more I think um, passionate and in a very loving way than perhaps the room. But he was making films. Oh, when would that have been? The fifties or even earlier? Let me just take a look. 
Um, no, way earlier. He was making films. Yeah, the 50s. Okay, he was making films in the 50s. And they were incredibly low budget. They were not well shot. They had like tons of errors in them. Um, but he really wanted to make them and he was having a great time. So his kind of two most famous ones are Plan 9 from Outer Space and Glenn or Glenda, which was he was a crossdresser and it was kind of about his life as a crossdresser, um, which I think we would probably have some issue. I haven't actually seen Glenn or Glenda, but we have seen Tim Burton's biopic about Ed Wood, um, which has some recreations of Plan 9 from Outer Space and, and Glenn or Glenda. But it, this film is so clearly playing in that vein of like, we know we're low budget and we know it's goofy and we know it's kind of bad, but we love what we're doing. And so it's good. Yeah, I totally agree. I didn't even care. Like literally the scenes where they're like in space, it's like so obviously CGI, like who cares? And then the scenes where it shows like a spaceship where it's like tinfoil on a wall. <laughs> Great. Who cares? Takeout container. The story was good enough. I didn't need it to be like really fancy. And the story's really sweet. Like it's oh, really, really sweet. Yeah. It's so romantic and cute. I loved it. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's so, yeah, it's so good. All the characters are just so lovable. So, so lovable. Um, and I I did not expect to see anybody that I recognized in this movie, but yeah, Alex Kapowski, he's in he was in girls. And I was like kind of taken aback. I'm like, there's somebody I recognize in this movie. <laughs> this this like really weird, greatly named movie. <laughs> but yeah, I felt like something else like I got a vibe of like not just kind of those Ed Wood type of types of films, but this it came out in what 20, 2011. Mm-hmm. It felt like a '90s independent film a little bit. Mm. Like it gave me like Watermelon Woman vibes or like Clerks even. Mm-hmm. And but make it space. Yeah, <laughs> but like to feel so to f- feel like it is part of that very niche kind of '90s piece of independent film, but come out in twenty eleven is. I don't know. I think that's a bit of a feat. I also read some people saying like some Twin Peaks vibes. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like very, I think very slight. Yeah. But some of that kind of absurdism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also love the like eco grief that is part of the opening of it where I'm like, oh my goodness. Can you imagine if that's what was depleting the ozone? <laughs> so true. We'd all just be hooped. More than we already are. <laughs> yes, good lord. Yeah, I I love this. Like I I like you were you kind of said at the beginning a little bit, but I'm just gonna come out and say that I think I'd watch this every year. Oh yeah, I will definitely watch this again. And like, I would too. Get a group of friends together and just have a howl. Did Allison like it? Yes, both okay. of us. We loved it. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, and it's one of those ones where I. I get sad that not that many people have seen it yeah, or heard of it because it's something that I could easily see taking off. Yeah. But it's quite hard to find, I think. Yeah. I'm going to tell all the lesbians I know to watch it. I mean, I have a whole class of creative writing students who are Gen Z's who now know about it, have seen the first five minutes of it, and hopefully will spread the good word. Yeah. Um, well, I did actually find out you can rent it from Apple TV. Okay. 
So it's it's not totally inaccessible. It's five dollars, so it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. It, it is worth it. How'd it make you both feel? <laughs> Made me feel delightfully daffy. <laughs> there. Um, it made, it made me feel heartwarmingly gay. <laughs> gay in both senses. I love that. <laughs> both definitions of the word. Yes. Kylie? Just so, so warmly delighted. So I guess we're all, we all felt pretty similar ways, I think. It was, I'm so glad that you heard about this movie. Huge thanks to your coworker for having impeccable and like very niche taste. Yes. Um, because it was awesome and so fun and, and really needed after kind of in the midst of all of these heavier films we were watching. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Last macaroni. We watched the 1990 comedy musical Cry Baby. It was written and directed by John Waters. Stars Johnny Depp as Cry Baby, Amy, Loca- Amy Locaine as Allison, uh, Susan Terrell as Ramona, Holly Bergen as Mrs. Vernon Williams, Iggy Pop as, Belved- as Belvedere, Ricky Lake as Pepper, Tracy Lords as Wanda, and Stephen Mailer as Baldwin. Uh, the synopsis is, in 1950s Baltimore, a bad boy with a heart of gold wins the love of a good girl whose boyfriend sets out for revenge. Great. Oh, baby. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's a lot. There's... There's a bit to unpack about about this movie. What'd you both think of it? And Kylie, let's start with you on this. I loved this movie obsessively as a teenager, preteen and teenager. I've seen it so many times and I haven't probably watched it in over a decade. Yeah, I think I, I mean, I've only seen it once and it's because you showed, showed it to, it to me you. and that's the only time we've watched it together. And Cassandra, you were the one who suggested it as so we had agreed that we were going to each pick do a mystery pick watch one thing that none of us had seen and then watch one thing that all of us had seen. And this was one of your suggestions for one that all of us had seen. What's your history with it? I have the same history as you. Oh, geez. (laughs) Shit. One time on TV, like it was just one of those movies playing on TV when I was like a teen and I loved it so much. Mm -hmm. And I just watched it all the time. I would rent it all the time and watch it. I think I just really loved gay musicals because I also (laughs) did the same with rent. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I've I've also watched this movie so many times, but I agree I haven't seen it in over a decade as well. Um, so that's why I was like, oh, I kind of want to see what this is like now that I'm like older. Were you a Johnny Depp fan growing up? Uh, not as much as you. Like I was, okay. a, I was a normal, normal, <laughs> chill, like yeah. cool. I was not a normal chill. I used to have birthday parties for him. Yeah, I actually had a friend who would do that for Alan Rickman. So I act- oh was a part of a lot of Alan Rickman birthday parties. So <laughs> I think I only did it once. Um, and it was with one friend and we made cakes. One, They were heart-shaped cakes. One said JD in icing and the other said, I think it was his 42nd birthday. I don't think I'd do this. Oh. That's real. Yeah. That's real special. I know, but, and so this is the tricky thing is I, like I was obsessed with him. Um, and it was like part of my identity. Like there was people who probably didn't know me that well, but knew me as like that girl who's obsessed with Johnny Depp. Wow. Um, and like, I met one of my best friends through a Johnny Depp fan site. Oh, like we met on a Johnny Depp fan forum and she lived in Spruce Grove and I lived in Leduc and I had a, I had a mutual acquaintance who lived in Spruce Grove and I said, Hey, can you just like check if this person is real? 
And I remember her being like, yeah, she goes to my school and she has like a bunch of Johnny Depp stuff up in her locker. (laughs) Uh, And so this movie in particular was one that her and I would watch a ton. And like, I just, I quote it around the house all the time and Elliot doesn't know it. Like I always quote, do you want some Ovaltine? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like it's just something I reference often. Um, But even before I decided that Johnny Depp was not somebody I wanted to support anymore, you know, coming back to our first conversation as a person who, has caused harm um, and is not accountable for that harm. I was not a fan of his artistic output even prior to that. I'd kind of fallen out of love of the choices he was making, but he has made so many movies that are like part of my movie DNA. And this is one of them. And I've really resisted going back to them because I didn't know how it would make me feel. And this is honestly one of the first ones I've revisited in a really long time. And I really liked it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I liked it too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, I, I'm so charmed watching this because I know how important it was to you. And it was a really special moment when you showed it to me for the first time. Cause you were, so, you were so <laughs> excited to show it to me. Um, so I really loved rewatching it and revisiting it. And it's so stupid in the best way. Like, yeah, I, I love the piss it takes out of all the films in this sort of genre. Like it's so fun. It's so smart and it's, it's ridiculous. Like it's, it's, it was the perfect follow-up codependent lesbian space alien seek same. <laughs> um, I feel like you could do a twofer like in one night and, and have just, just a great romp of a time. Yeah. And like the music slaps, the tune, the tunes are really great, and there's just some iconic lines in that. I'm sorry, I don't know more of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really know them. After, I mean, I was probably really annoying to watch this with because it wasn't Elliot's first time watching it, so I would, I was a little more annoying than usual. I'd be like, I used to quote that line all the time. <laughs> <laughs> wow, and it is one of those ones of like revisiting it later and being like, oh, I loved gay stuff, and I didn't even know it necessarily (laughs) right same that's what I was thinking and I was talking with Allison about it too and I was like why did I like this as a kid like why was I into it it doesn't really make sense like why I just like naturally was drawn to this gay movie and she said because it's so camp Mm -hmm. and I said yeah that's true like a younger person just sees that it's silly and can be drawn to that the same way an older person can like see the the like maybe sometimes lewd and stupid jokes Mm -hmm. so can a young person in different ways I mean, I would definitely agree with that because I don't even know if I talked about this with you, Elliot, but somebody I watched this movie with a lot was my little brother. (laughs) Like a lot. Mm. The two of us would watch it together. And we, to this day, I'm sure Elliot's heard us say it and not known what it was from because you've seen the movie once, but not enough to really remember it. Mm -hmm. Where it'd be like, my daddy's the alphabet bomber. Like (laughs) just, (laughs) you know, and, and we'll just. Oh, or yell electricity killed my daddy you know like <laughs> we just will quote the movie all the time and I don't think my brother particularly loves gay things he's not doesn't not like them but he's not uh, obsessed with them and he loved this movie and he probably was like eight when he was watching it right so there's yeah there's something silly about it yeah but there's also something like watching it this time and it's been so long I love how many different types of women there are in the film and how they are all positioned as desirable. Agreed. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that's so true. And they're confident and desirable and they 
their friends stand up for them and yeah. love them in who they are. And yeah, it's really cute. It's really okay. I have this is the I have a good piece of trivia, you all. Okay. I, I have been lacking in the trivia game, but this is a good one. Do you know much about Tracy Lords? Um, I don't, but I really wanted to be her from this movie. Really? So you don't know really anything. You don't know her history. So it's a very complicated and deeply traumatic history. So she started, I don't know how to say this without saying it wrong, but she was in pornography films when she was 15, 16, 17 years old. And she, she was using an ID that said she was 18. Oh. Um, and I think she's spoken a lot more about it now at how at the time she might have said she was consenting and felt like that was her choice to make. And so when this film was being made, um, so it was around, I think she had just turned 18 mm, wow. when it was made clear to like the FBI that she, there was these like big budget easily accessible pornography films she was in where she's 15 years old which is illegal yeah and so there was this big mad dash to like take all of the films she was in off the shelves except for one there's one film she was in where she was 18 and then she this all happened and the fbi was you know seeking information from her um and that was an incredibly traumatic experience for her as well and that was happening while she was in this film um Mm. so the heartwarming part of this is that she recently was uh, doing an uh, interview about this movie and she got quite emotional and talked about how the entire cast rallied around her and rallied together to make her feel safe um, while the FBI were trying to investigate her. So John Waters would hide her, <laughs> um, help hide her because she was really terrified about speaking with them. And um, they had a big like day where the cast all shared their own experiences with illegal activity and run-ins with the law um, to say, like, you're not the only one and you're not alone. And she's just even to this day recalled how safe and welcomed and together she felt by this like rallying to support her. And, you know, thinking about the year that this was made, you know, 1990, I, I don't think that would be common. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a re- really beautiful that like John Waters led a group of people by example to like support her and keep her safe. And and knowing her history, I see so much of that put into her character in the film where she's got agency and choice and she's the character who isn't in a relationship. Um, yeah. Pretty phenomenal. Also makes me think about how, you know, sometimes you talk about, movies you've watched and the conditions on the set and you know some old movies with shitty directors uh, the conditions weren't great so mm-hmm. it's kind of nice to see like in this queer queer made movie the conditions were nice and maybe that's like a, a good reason to have a more diverse people making movies because those people are 100 nice movie set sorry for swearing you are allowed, allowed to swear <laughs> you are allowed to swear well and uh amy locan locan i don't know how to pronounce her name she's spoken about this too because she was i think she was 18 when the film was being made and she was like a french kissing for the first time on screen and she's talked about how like it was really safe really supported her mom was on set and there's been quite a few like cast reunions for this film and i always i know it's not a fail safe way to judge it but I tend to think if like the whole cast will get back together years and years later there must have been something really special about making it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it seems like the friendship 
the kind of group they had is a group they have in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really awesome. Have you seen any other John Waters stuff, either of you? I don't. I think this is the only John Waters film I've seen, but I've seen it like a hundred times. So I don't know if that counts for anything. <laughs> Same. I've also seen this like a lot of times, and I don't think I've seen any other John Waters stuff. I'd be curious, like just hearing that. I've I've always kind of been curious about some of the other stuff that he's made, but now hearing that he's just a champion for other people and just super cool, I want to see some more stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. I have another piece of trivia that is not as heartwarming. Um, so Willem Dafoe's in this movie. Yeah. For like one minute, would you all be surprised to learn that he improvised the moment when he slapped Johnny Depp's butt? No. <laughs> I, nope. <laughs> that, uh, Sounds right. Yeah. I don't know. This movie's great. I just looked up John Waters' um, information, and it looks like he he worked on Hairspray, like the 2007 oh, musical. Oh, I've seen Hairspray. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think we've all seen that. Why? Yeah. I just feel like you guys are musical people. I've seen the I've seen his original film, like the original Hairspray. Okay, it looks like oh. he worked on that too. So yeah, that one's his, and then and then I think that the remake. He helped with. Yes. They're very different films. I've only seen the remake. Same. I don't remember the original one very well, but I do know I have seen it. I forgot about that. Okay, so you have seen it, John Waters? I have. I'm curious, Cassandra, if you felt this way about this movie, too, because you were watching it when you were young. I thought this movie was really sexy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I thought that when I was young, and I think that now. Uh, Agreed, yep. Like, when I was young, I just, like, I felt like I maybe wasn't supposed to be watching it, but I did anyway. (laughs) I know, I told Elliot, I'm like, there's a couple of scenes in here that I've watched repeatedly. Um, Scenes, and I'm like, I'll point them out to you. (laughs) These scenes that I just really, 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 really liked as as a young person. It's still a sexy movie, though. Yeah. It is. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, I get it. I mean, you know, dis- despite all of the more recent Johnny Depp of it all, he's a total babe in this. Yeah. And it's kind of undeniable. Yeah. I feel like one of my favorite, like, sexy scenes is when everyone is dancing between glass together. Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah. Everyone in that scene is just doing, like, the sexiest, like, dance moves while singing this, like, emotional song. And it's just, like, really good. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's amazing. And this was a a fun little serendipitous moment because, Cassandra, you suggested we watch this. And then I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's revisit this film that I loved so much. But my mom um, is in the process of selling her house um, right now and moving out of she'll be the last family member that Elliot or I have to move out of the the town we grew up in. Um, and so she's like, "Hey, all my children get your crap out of my house. And she gave me this box of VHS tapes, both like like there's a VHS of like speed, um, but also like tapes that my dad recorded for me. So some of them are like films I made, but one of them is Crybaby. Wow. And it's like in my dad's handwriting. And I obviously asked him and he scratched out what was on it before because he like recorded over it. So I must have asked him to record that for me. Um, And I'm like, oh, man, if we had a VCR, we should have watched the VHS of it. With commercials, possibly? (laughs) Probably with commercials, honestly. It'd be pretty fun. That's awesome. So, yeah, this was, it sounds like it was fun for all of us to revisit this. I love it. How to make make y'all feel? It made me feel complicated because of the Johnny Depp of it all, but nostalgic comfort and silliness that 
like I think it marked the turn for me to be able to like revisit these movies and and allow myself the grace of loving these things that I loved, mm-hmm. which I think is important. Mm-hmm. Well, you, Cassandra. Yeah, I also really felt nostalgic while watching this. Like I just like remembered every song somehow, even though I haven't seen it. Like I said, in over a decade, it was just really good, and it was funny and cute and happy. That's great. It made me feel just so happy, even more so now to revisit not only an old fave of yours, Kylie, but an old fave of yours, Cassandra. I think that it's just really special that though I was not somebody that grew up with this film, I love as much as I love showing things I love to people I care about. I love when I get to experience those things on the opposite end of it. And uh, yeah, it's just really special. Yeah, I feel like it gives you like an insight into our like minds when we were younger. <laughs> yes, exactly. I and I think from this movie, the insight would be, "Damn, you two were cool. Like we were <laughs> ahead, cool and gay. We were ahead of the game, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> yes. what everybody wants to be now, and we had that on lock when we were like twelve. We didn't know it, but we did. But we did. <laughs> you were gay before everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> the first gays. <laughs> Okay. Ready to talk about Bad Dads and Rad Dads? Yeah, hell yeah. This is the fun part. This is exciting. Okay, Bad Dad of the Week. Cassandra, who's your nominee? Okay, my nominee is La Mer. Okay, I was. I see you guys nodding. Um. Okay, because I'm trying to think about not giving too much away. I feel like she does the mom thing that is very typical of just like, doing what is needed to protect their child but in a way that's harming their child so she thinks that she's protecting her child in the way that she thinks she needs to do it but it's actually just harming her child and i feel like she just like is so wrapped up in her own emotions around it and maybe the way that she looks and what she wants and so she does what she thinks needs to happen like she i feel like she even uses that language like we need to do this like says who so I just feel like she forces her child to do things that are not necessary because she just thinks they need to be done or she says so. And they're really mean without spoilers. They're just, it's mean. It's yeah. really mean. Yeah. That hits me in the heart even more. Just like hearing that, like you have a little bit of connection to this film. So that, that, uh, that yeah, that deepens it. What about you, Kylie? I picked La Mer. <laughs> oh, Nice. <laughs> Um, I don't, you said that so thoughtfully, so I don't have much more to add, but one of the, the ways that I was thinking about this is that La Mer is like willfully ignorant of the harm and pain that is being caused to her child, um, and puts her own discomfort and her own concerns about how she will appear to the community over the feelings and needs of her child. Um, and I agree with you. It's just mean. And I think she would say that she's doing the right thing. Um, I think she's doing what's easy for her. Nice. I did not say Lemaire. I said Franklin from We Need to Talk About Kevin, who's the dad. Oh, interesting. Really? John, so John <laughs> Cassandra C. is aghast. Did you hear that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. Okay. I chose him because throughout the whole film, as lovable as John C. Riley may be, I just felt like he was really disconnected with what was going on. And again, this might also be because you both have more insight because you both read the book. 
but he just felt so narrow-minded and unwilling to see the different sides of what was going on. It's just like it seemed like he had his idea of what he thought was right or wrong and who was in the right or wrong, and there was no wavering from that. And that that put my girl Tildy in some really tough spots, <laughs> and I don't appreciate that. But I, I don't I don't like how just set in his ways and unwilling to hear other angles on something that is. I know that I'm outvoted here. I, I do see where you're coming from and the like the degree of dismissiveness towards his wife's concerns and and like her well being. But I do think Cassandra and I have the right choice here. <laughs> the right choice well i was also gonna say I, I thought about him as well for a second for bad dad but then i thought he is like a pretty good dad to his kids i think mm. he's just a bad partner he's a bad husband he's mm. not a bad dad do you know what i mean because he's actually like quite a good dad dad but that doesn't make mm-hmm. him a good husband do you know what i mean yeah yeah you even That's said true. he puts your girl tildy in some tough spots yeah but not That's true yeah <laughs> But yeah, as a partner, big doink. So he might be bad partner, but not bad dad. Yeah, that's fair. Very important clarification on Cassandra's part, I think. I also just love that bad dad of the week is going to be Lamar. <laughs> also very beautiful because, or I, I don't know, ironic. My literary terms are failing me right now because we once named La Pere from Celine Sciamma's film Petite Mama as Rad Dad. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I love that. At any rate, La Mer. Don't be, be our dad. Don't be our dad. You're <laughs> going to say be your dad. I don't want La Mer I was jumping the dad. gun. I was jumping the gun. <laughs> Step off indeed. <laughs> okay. Rad Dad of the Week. Kylie, who's your nominee? I am nominating Mrs. Vernon Williams from Crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> You're both laughing. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Go on. Okay. Hear me out. Mm-hmm. At first, she seems like the ultimate worst, like p- possible contender for bad dad. Mm-hmm. But she is very stuck in her ways at the start of the film, and she has a very particular mindset. And that mindset is being like indoctrinated to many people. And yet she's able to recognize what her granddaughter wants and needs and how that might be different from her. And be open to the idea of allowing her to experience this part of life that she wants to. And ultimately, this leads her to being like very willing to change her mind and champion both her kid and the people that her kid cares about. And like that is the hardest thing to do, even for me, to like be open to the fact that somebody else might want or need something that I disagree with and to support them and love them through that. And champion them, even when it's not our moral standpoint. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I take it yeah. that neither of you picked her. No, <laughs> no. but but I really like that choice. Yeah, uh, it's a good explanation as well. Thank yeah. you, Cassandra. Who's your nominee? Okay, so I nominated Jane, the lesbian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The reason why is because Jane is so caring. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, there are some aliens who meet humans. And when they meet the humans, the humans are all like, what the heck is wrong with you? Why are you Mm -hmm. different? Why are you weird? Jane meets an alien and immediately is just like, doesn't even care. 
that they're kind of weird and out there and just like is giving like the most caring unconditional love jane is like i made you dinner oh i got you flowers like jane is just like so caring and loving and like it's just like i don't know just giving me such like cute caring energy unconditionally yeah and like there's like there's some really beautiful moments even past that where you know jane is spending time with zoinks and we'll find out like Zoinks doesn't know what coffee is or like something like that. And there's no judgment. There's just like, oh, OK, mm-hmm. well, here, like I'll explain it and you can try it. Yeah. Exactly. And that is really beautiful. And that's such like dad energy to me. Like you're just like, oh, you don't know what this is or what this means. I'll just teach you. No big deal. Yeah. Well, that's really dad energy to me. That's what my dad's like. Yeah. It's just like this really chill, wise patience. Yeah. And you're so appreciative for that. Definitely. Elliot. Okay. I, I know who you picked. Of course you do. I picked Jean from Tomboy. <laughs> oh. Uh, Lil Sis. Okay. Um, just like radiates kindness and unconditional love and care and seeks understanding that, that they don't have. Or, you know, even if it's something that maybe they don't have a capacity for, I can totally see Jean growing up into somebody that is just really wonderful and somebody that you would want to have as a dad but yeah that's that's my pick what do we do <laughs> i mean i i do think that mrs vernon williams is a good choice but i was pretty convinced by cassandra's i, I and explanation. i and i also like i also just like really want to put codependent lesbian space alien seek same on the board in some yeah. way i really want everyone to see yeah this I, movie. it needs more exposure it it deserves it so i am jane also dresses like a dad 100 <laughs> percent. like just yeah. the glasses and like the haircut and like the the you know just like a collared shirt with some slacks it's just giving dad even though like one of my favorite parts of the film is a couple of small strange interactions that she has with an older customer yes and that's total dad energy yeah. oh yeah <laughs> like, it's amazing so i think jane both has like the qualities we would want from a parent but also just has quite legitimate dad energy yes so i love I think it that okay jane be, be our dad. dad please be our dad okay man this was so much fun before we dip out hit you with a rad wreck We watched a lot of movies this week, but something that we set out to do when the three of us sat down to decide what we wanted, how we wanted to approach the movies we were going to be picking this week, we made a point of seeking out films that were not made by cis straight white guys, which is a task that is a lot easier said than done, unfortunately. Um, So the red wreck is if you watch a lot of movies or a big or or are a big movie fan and you're consistently seeking out new films to discover or new things to watch. We implore you to challenge yourself to, you know, look at the movies you're watching and who's making them. And then how can you maybe diversify that a little bit? How can you be a little bit more thoughtful about the content you're consuming and the artists that you're choosing to support? I think one of the things that uh, became clear to me is that we're, Elliot, you and I, we watch so many movies, we do a pretty good job of hitting at least one of those one not cis or not het or not white or not able-bodied or not a man, um, mm-hmm. at least one, you know? But when it was trying to find five films yeah, that we wanted to watch, and then when you're narrowing it down to a film that none of us have seen or a film that all of us have seen, it was actually harder than I thought it would be. 
which made me think about maybe I need to be trying harder to do that all the time. Yeah. I think got hit with a, a big dose of reality. I think on last week's episode or two episodes ago at the very, we got to the very end of it and you're like, yeah, we watched like all movies by white dudes this week. No, it was what it was white um, directors. They weren't all men, but, Oh, but like still like trying to not do that is something that we aim to do. Cassandra, you came in clutched and saved us from another uh, all white episode with <laughs> yeah. your, with your mystery pick. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, in my reading journey, I try and really hard to diversify the books that I read. And now that I've been doing it for a while, it's really easy to do with books for me, but I'm noticing when I was picking movies for this episode, it's not easy to do for movies. And I think if I keep working at it, like it will be easy to pick those movies in the future. But like, it's just like, you know, you just got to get better at it and keep trying. Because yeah, it is that tricky thing. You know what you mentioned when we were talking about we need to talk about Kevin is that the director is not the only person involved in the making of a film, whereas a book is a lot more. This is the author. Yeah. And this is the content. And I think it is really important to continue to diversify whose films we're watching um, and to be mindful of like, okay, I didn't think that this was directed by, uh, by a white guy um, based on who's in it and what's it, what it's about and to be reflective about that. Um, But also to look into like who's writing the film and who's producing the film and, you know, what is the cast saying about their experience working with the director and those kinds of things where possible. Um, I think it's important and, and trying not to support artists who, uh, their cast says they are not great to work with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think we had some good conversations today too on on that very thing too, just how reconciling with things that you love from your past when there's some not great people that are involved in it and that changes over time, things get revealed and just being mindful of the stuff that you consume, whether it be movies or books or whatever it is. I think it's important to stay critical out there. You know? Stay critical out there. <laughs> um, speaking of, Cassandra, is there anywhere where people can find you where you'd want people to find you, particularly your book stuff? I think you're doing some really thoughtful and important conver- conversating, recommending around books. That's so nice. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm a bookstagram girly, so you can go to my bookstagram, which is oatmilk underscore femme, if you want some book content. I would uh, really like Elliot to share what he thinks of your um, handle because you say all the time how much you love it. Yeah. <laughs> He's just looking at me blankly, but he like often will be like, Cassandra's <laughs> handle is so good. Yeah. <laughs> Every time it comes up. Thank you. I just wanted people to know I'm gay, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that really draws it home. <laughs> well, we'll post a link to uh, to your bookstagram in our thank you thank you so much for um wanting to do a full episode with us and we've been like dying to know what this movie you wanted us to watch is for a long time um and just having really good thoughtful conversations with us yeah i'm glad you loved the movie that i was waiting to show you (laughs) it was awesome now you gotta start thinking of what the next one is that you want to show us you know to be honest i already have possible (laughs) options amazing hell yeah i definitely want to I really wanted to do something fun with you, Cassandra. And then I was like, ha, oh, with Crybaby and Codependent Lesbian Space Alien, maybe I, we've already got two silly things. So I already know what I'm picking for you next time, too. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I, you know, I like fun, but I also like heavy. So I like, I like everything. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. 
Thank you. This was fun. And thank you all for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. You can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. You can get a sneak peek of what we've been watching on our individual letterbox accounts. And we would absolutely love you forever if you could share us with the rad people in your life. Drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. That is going to do it for these codependent lesbian space aliens exams this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad. Bye.